Welcome to the Diversity at Work podcast, where we unpack what it's really going to take to close the gender gap in the workplace. Here is your host, leadership coach and diversity consultant, Andrea Jansen. This episode is sponsored by Duckish Natural Skincare. I am super excited that they have jumped on board to sponsor the show because I actually know Carolyn Crew, the founder, personally. A couple of years ago, before there was a Reignite Your Ambition coaching program, before there was a workshop, before there was an ambitious everyday journal, I had an idea for an exercise to help people get clear on what drives their ambition so that they could set goals feel fulfilled, and have something to strive for. So before I could do that, I actually had a group of entrepreneurs that I knew, and I asked them if I could test the exercise on them. So I asked Carolyn, what is the something that you're striving for? What drives your ambition? What motivates you to get up every day and go to work? And she said, 2%. And I didn't really expect an answer like that. And I asked her to explain. And she said that only 2% of women entrepreneurs actually reach a million dollars in annual revenue in their businesses. And that is what motivated her to start Duckish Natural Skincare. They have lotion sticks, lip balm, baby products, and bath products. They're really innovative. And my favorite product is their lotion stick. It looks like deodorant, but it's actually lotion. So you just rub it on your legs, you rub it on your arms, your hands, your face. You can even use it as a lip balm. And I love it because it's solid. And when I travel, I can keep it in my carry-on and I don't need to worry about having too much liquid to get through security. And for all of the Diversity at Work listeners, Duckish is offering you 15% off of your order. So you need to head to duckish.ca, that is D-U-C-K-I-S-H dot C-A, and enter the promo code diversity at work at checkout, and you will get 15% off of your order. The way I see it is that if you need to buy lotion anyways, might as well buy it from a women-owned business so that you can do your part to close the gender gap. They ship to the U.S. and Canada, so head to duckish.ca and enter the promo code diversity at work and you will get 15% off. Hi, Darren. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Can you introduce yourself and sure. tell everybody what you do? Yeah, thanks. Um Bit of a jack of all trades. So um yeah, I live in Halifax and I've been doing all kinds of different things. I've been an exercise physiologist. I've worked with high performance athletes. Um, I've done health consulting within organizations. Um, And my mom calls me the workout man. So after two degrees and 25 years of experience, I'm still the workout man to my mother. Um, But most recently, I've been kind of doing some work in resiliency, which I think kind of marries that mental and physical health together. So do a little bit of research through university, but I'm a real practitioner. And to summarize all of that, um, my purpose is to help people. And that comes in many different ways from the Olympic level athlete to someone struggling. Okay. So I know, so the way that I met you was through resilience and journaling and reflection and picking yourself back up and building that mental strength. So tell me before you got into that and honed into that area in your career, what was going on for you? Yeah. So like I said, I was an exercise physiologist in the late nineties. And I thought if I wrote the perfect program, then I could make the perfect human, for example, um, that I could 
you know, make people healthy and so forth. And what I recognized is there's a whole lot more to it than just the perfect program. Because unfortunately, we have this thing between our ears called a brain, which has emotions and drives whether we want to do something or not. So I recognized that um, I had to learn more about behavioral science. So for a lack of a better term, I kind of became more of a life coach and trying to figure out how do I help people um, go from a new behavior to building a habit. Um, and of course, I spent a lot of time in physical activity, sleep and nutrition. And then that started to morph into other things, um, again, which kind of led me to, okay, I've helped a lot of people. I've helped a lot of groups. How can I take this little bit of knowledge that I built and try to go for lack, again, lack of a better term to go more global, to try to have a more profound impact. So yeah, for a good chunk of my career, um, um, on the, the regular adult side, I was a life coach. And then on the high performance side, um, I was a, that would be more the classic physiologist, strength conditioning coach. But then I realized they have brains too, the Olympic level athletes, and you have to use all kinds of different strategies to get them to buy into. So I'm curious about that, these high performance athletes, what are some of those mental strategies that you used with them? Yeah. So when you look at, um, a behavior and you're trying to make it a habit and you're talking about resiliency, one thing that I want to get out right away is that your environment drives your behavior, your environment drives your resilience. So these athletes, yes, they're super resilient. They have a lot of the individual skills. They might have a gene that does it, but they also usually have a pretty good environment. Um, so they have structure, they have accountability, they're treated fairly, um, they have good resources. So that plays a factor. And what I recognized, because I worked in a, I work in an integrated sports science team, when you create that for the person, then they also can be super successful as well. So we got to remember that whether you want to be resilient, I was just talking today at lunch to about 100 people about this. It's a two-way communication. So you've got to have the environment to be successful, and then you have to have the individual characteristics. So when you talk about a high-performance athlete, they keep structure in their life. They bring people into their life that force them to be accountable or, or work with them to be accountable. accountable. Um, and, uh, you know, they have all of the individual skills. So most of them do mindfulness. Of course, they do physical activity. They have higher levels of sleep. Like if we look at Malcolm Caldwell's work, um, you know, everyone thinks about the 10,000 hours to become a, an Olympic level athlete. Actually, if you read the research, what was the higher correlate was the sleep. So it was based off pianist and violinist, like world class. Um, and they, they did 10,000 hours of practice, but they also slept way more than the other people. So that's what you get out of those athletes is, you know, we all go, oh, I should sleep more. They don't think about it. They do it. Okay, they do it. Okay, so I'm really interested in journaling specifically. Because right. when we first met, we were yes. at a coffee shop and I had just published my journal and you walked up to me and said, hey, did you write that book? And you yeah. were so excited. So, and it was brand new in the world and I was really excited that you were excited. Right. So I want to know more about that research that you've done. Sure. So on the high performance side, we use mental performance coaches and they certainly use journaling. So I'd spend a lot of time probably with 10 or 15 different mental performance coaches with the athletes. 
And then um, I work also with regular psychologists as well. And um, of course, they were fans of journaling. So when we did this study at a university on resiliency and university age kids, we had um, awareness, which was doing assessment. We had learnings, which was video content and doing a companion. But the action steps were to do logging and journaling. I distinguish logging as kind of answering 10 questions. So it would be yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. Am I doing this? Am I doing that's what I call logging. Journaling is and what just, were you trying to change? What behavior were you trying to change in this study? This, yeah. So this is the resiliency stuff. Oh, so it's about you were just studying resiliency. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so basically part of the study, which we believe is that logging and journaling can help sustain your resilience and, uh, increase the likelihood of being physically active, getting more sleep. So journaling kind of crosses the all of those spectrums. So what we did is we asked them, how are you feeling? And we had smiley faces to cry faces. Then we asked them 10 questions. Did you live your values today? Were you physically active? Were you mindful, etc.? And then um, we asked them to open journal. And my IT person would start the clock when they started typing and stop the clock when they stopped typing. And then we would ask them, how do you feel now? So what we found so far, and we've collected a couple thousand people, is those that answer more yeses had a higher starting mood. Um, So if they were living their values, physically active, drinking water, pumped to start their day, if they scored more like eight out of 10 yeses, they had a higher starting mood. But the interesting thing was those that journaled more had a higher improvement in mood during actually journaling. So when we said, how do you feel? And then at journal, how do you feel now? We actually saw people go from like a crying face to a normal face or a smiling face, or sometimes even to a laughing face. And how long did that take? How much journaling? Yeah. Yeah. So it's not the same as say the logging where it was almost a one-to-one correlation. And we'll probably be putting that information out, but it was a couple minutes You don't have, and again, I mean, you know this, you don't have to journal for four hours. Um, It was a small amount of time. It was reflecting your day, decompressing your day um, is what we found was successful. So So I want to understand this. This sounds really amazing. So you ask people like, how do you feel? And they, sad face. They answer a bunch of journaling questions, self-reflection. Yep. And then they answer that question again. And there was an improvement within a few minutes. Yeah, for, for two things, though. One is logging, which is just answering questions, and then it's just open-ended, write whatever you want. Um, so it was an open-ended journal and logging. Um, and with both of those, and um, what we suspect is it was more the open-end journaling, uh, but yes, part of it was self-reflecting, but we do know through even, I'll use the name Christine Neff, which people can look up, um, and, and some other people, some cool people who have done journaling research, that there's something with pen to paper and actually like physically writing. So even when you talk about the gratefulness research, um, sure, it's good to reflect at the end of the day and think about what you're grateful for, but it's entrenches more if you actually write it. So hand, mind to hand to pen actually does make a bigger difference than just saying, this is what I'm grateful for. Uh, And that's also what we've shown. So, you know, is journaling essential? No. Do, have we shown that it's an effective tool to sustain your resilience and maybe change a behavior to a habit? Yes. Um, and what I've got, I got 40 pages of unsolicited emails from students in the study. And I would say three pages are 
I thought journaling was stupid and sucked. And now I'm never going to take it out of my life. Wow. I know. I thought you might like that. Okay. So, and so this must have been why you were so excited that you randomly saw me at the coffee shop yep. with my brand new journal that I had kind of just come up with and put it in the world. And then I just was building off your excitement. So yep. physically, so the important thing here is you could do it on the computer. You could yep. think about it. You could talk about it. But if you physically put that pen on a piece of paper, that's where you get kind of like the biggest improvement. Yes. And so I worked with a three-time Olympian, um, and she has about 12 books full. They're about 200 pages each. Um, when she retired, I did ask her if I could have one to use in talks and so forth, and she said no, but you can talk about it. So, yeah, she journaled nearly every day. Um, but, yeah, she's got 12 full books sitting on her shelf about her experiences over the 12 years that she was an athlete. Um, and yeah, she would also attest to the pen to the paper, uh, makes a big difference. I get, we've all moved to computer and our studies uses computers, but we certainly encourage them in the video content, um, put a, put, uh, put your journal next to their bed at night. And that's awesome. The other thing too, which is part of that research, I was talking about those research groups. It doesn't have to be every day. Like four times a week, three times a week. And actually the research shows, and not just for journaling, but for the gratefulness stuff, um, three or four times a week is enough because what happens sometimes if you go six or seven, it just becomes a thing that you do rather than actually taking some time to think and reflect. And it just becomes more of a task rather than an enlightenment. Okay. So it's kind of more important to get into the mindset and focus yeah. and do it versus just get it done. Check it off the to-do list. Yeah, so making be, sure you're be present. be present and doing it. And then if you're not, pre- if you're not ready, if you're not feeling it for that day, just skip one day Yeah, and then yeah. go back the next day. Don't force it. I love that. Um, yeah, try not to make, try not to make it a burden. Anytime we make something a burden, it's like a thing that I got to do. And it was the same thing for exercise. So we know there's a high correlation between enjoyment and adherence. Um, so, you know, uh, figure out how journaling, what's the way that you like to do it. And for some people, it might be seven days a week. I'm not, I'm that person, right? There's no one way to, to do it. If it's seven days a week and your juices are flowing and you feel good and you're enjoying it, do it. Uh, if it's four days a week, like, okay, cool. I want to do this and because don't forget, one of the values is, first of all, self-awareness, as you know, so you're actually creating this. But then what we try to teach through our high-performance experience and now with my, my life coaching experience is you can reflect back on a time that went really well and say, what the heck was I doing? That's one of the critical things with this logging and journaling and so forth is that you can reflect back on and because we all have a tendency to romanticize the past and oh, this is what I did. But now you can actually go, okay, this is what I was doing. Um, or if you had a bad time, you can see what was going on. Because it's okay to have a bad time. That's normal. Everyone has a bad time. So I'm just really curious. What's the difference between logging and journaling? So again, logging is, um, I might say I slept six hours. Mm-hmm. Um, did I do physical activity today? Yes. So it's more kind of objective measurements. Where I, and this is just our own terminology, where journaling is just write whatever the heck you want. Just decompress your day, self-reflect, what have you. And we had a specific log for that study, but people can develop their own log, whatever you want to track. So I have a spreadsheet that I've used because I'm a little bit crazy for five years. 
and it has all of my sleep, how much water, I rated my energy level, and I actually figured out um, my sinus issues based off of that. So I was having like sinusitis every six or seven weeks, and then I noticed the trends of what was happening. And obviously, when when I was going to trend this way, my nose would blow up. So because hmm. I'm a part time scientist, so I like to figure stuff out. And that was the trans. And that's what we do with athletes. That's what we do with uh, my clients that I used to work with. And now that's what we encourage the students. And you can get that out of journaling and logging. So you can self-reflect and say, how was I feeling? And you can reread your journals. You don't have to. It could be just decompressed for that day. But if you go, man, I felt really good last April and May. Well, what was I doing? And you can go back and look and say, what was I doing? Or, man, I've really struggled the last six weeks. What was I doing? Oh, yeah, I've been staying up till 11 o'clock at night. Um, this relationship issue, so forth. So then... Because the number one of the number one traits of or behaviors of resilient people is problem solving, problem solving and optimism. So what a journal and a log can do, what a journal can do is help you problem solve. Cool. Okay. I'm really curious. So I, you know, like my journal is brand new. It is like just been in the world for a couple of months and I've had mm -hmm. a lot of people buy it, but mm -hmm. I've had a lot of people uh, and you saw it. It's like color, it's illustrated, it's an artist made it. So it's like yep. visually appealing. I've had people not start. And there's two reasons why. And I'm really curious as to if you could give me some insight on this. Sure. So number one is some people are like, I don't want to wreck it. It's too nice. I don't want to wreck it. And I'm like, well, it's nice because your goals and your dreams and you as a human being are beautiful and they deserve to live in a beautiful place. So that's kind of where my head goes. So that's one reason. The second reason is people get overwhelmed and they're like, I want to have it all figured out before I start writing. I don't know what the goal is, so I can't write it down. And my reaction is by writing it down, it helps you figure out where to go because you write down the wrong thing and you see it on the paper. You you'll know it's wrong. So then you've got to write something else and explore and be curious. So where, what do you have to say about that? I'm really curious. Yeah. Uh, really good point. Not surprising. So when I was doing a lot of fitness testing and even the high performance athletes, it'll be like, okay, we need to test to see where we're at. They're like, no, no, no. Give me four weeks to get in shape. I'm like, well, that's not really the purpose. We actually want to know where you are right now so we can determine a path forward. So yeah, it's uh, get started today. And again, if it happens to be three sentences, it's three sentences. You don't have, this is, this is part of figuring it out. So when people say I need to figure it out first, well, that's why you're doing this is to figure it out. Um, you know, there might be some deeper procrastination issues and so forth. Um, that's why I think one of the first things that they could do in their journal is maybe take a look at, What's my purpose? What's my vision? What's my values? Because when you figure that out, then you probably could be a springboard to other things. Yes. Okay. Look at your journal. I assume it's in there. Yeah. So Darren, so my, so the way that I talk about values is what drives your ambition. So what does ambition mean to you? And that's really going under the surface and figuring out what it is that that person needs to thrive. What's important to them? What are their values? But people are still saying like, I don't know. It's too hard. I have to figure it out before I write it down. I And it's like, 
I don't know what it is. A lot of people are getting stuck in analysis paralysis. So is there a way yes. to, to start, like to yes. just get over that analysis paralysis? Because yes. it's, I love this conversation because like everything you're saying is like validating how I made the journal. So this sure. is really special. So if you look so at the, you. if you knew, if you look at the new big psychology tool, which is ACT, which is acceptance commitment therapy. So most have dropped the CBT, the cognitive behavioral therapy. You look at Dr. Stephen Hay's work, which I think is awesome about practicing acceptance. One of the first exercises he does, which I've been doing for a long time as well, is uh, his is a little morbid. It's write your obituary. I like write your retirement speech. That's so, in my journal too. There you go. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a common exercise, but it's a great place to start. I've had clients take six hours. I've had clients take six months. And you can use whatever the first 10 pages to kind of scratch it out, start again. But that is your vision. So your purpose is kind of your tagline, like just do it. Or, you know, there's exercise you can do to get through that. But then you have to go to that. And then, of course, what you find out, there's a values exercise you can do. But typically, you're going to see your four value words within that speech. So I work with uh, the air traffic controllers. And that's one of the exercises we do is... Um, cause I, we were doing a coaching program with them. We get them to write their retirement speech from four students, two students that passed and two students that failed. And in an ideal world, they say similar things. You know, Darren did everything that he could for me. He was uh, encouraging, he was caring, these kind of things. So when you figure out your vision and your values, the likelihood of you and you start living that the likelihood of you being overwhelmed goes a lot less because my experiences have been after 25 years in the field is when people figure out their vision and their values. And then in your journal, they block time a week of what they've done. So from two to three, I did this from four to six, I did this. Then they take their values and they put a check mark or an X Oh, because then you see if you're working towards things Correct. that are important to you or not. Correct. My experience has been that a high percentage of the time, if the X's outweigh the check marks, I hear I'm feeling overwhelmed. These kind of things, because you're not living your values. And it's not like you're out, you know, robbing a bank or what have you. It's just you're not living your values. And it makes people feel overwhelmed. So great exercise to start with, like you said, where to start. It sounds like you've got it in your journal. Just start hammering out that letter. And it's tough, man. Like when you want to change, it's not easy. There's a reason that there's a whole section of chapters on change and change management, but you just got to start somewhere. It's like you said, and I find that's a great place to start is write a, write your retirement speech if you want to, because again, that kind of puts a work context on it. I, I, I'm sure that's why um, Dr. Hayes goes with the obituary because it's more life. I have two in mind. So I have your 90th birthday party. What do you want on sure. the birthday card? And then I have the, on your retirement card, what do you want people to write on it? That's a great idea. Like just the 90th birthday, because then you might have work and your personal people, uh, people there. Cause there's no such thing as work-life balance. It's life. Um, so yeah, no, that's great. I think that's an awesome place to start. And then you can kind of morph out from there. Um, and I mean, sometimes it's just people keep telling you like professional people. And here I am on a podcast saying 
there's something with journaling and it doesn't matter what it is. Like you just said, it's just because we ask the students, why are you journaling? Like, is it to decompress your day? Is it to self-reflect? And it could be the same as kind of decompressing with your partner or decompressing, but maybe, you know, they're fatigued. And, and so you just write it out. It's like almost talking to a friend. It's almost like your journal becomes another part of your social support network. And then is there a time that people need to do it to kind of like get over that hump and then it becomes easier? Yeah, I've always been a fan of structure. Um, so when we talk about changing a behavior, like we want to add something, I still think there's value in, okay, so if someone buys your journal and someone's talking about it, that means you've already gone through that, this is stupid or I'm not doing it, I haven't got time. So you've got people kind of what we call in that yellow phase. So they're thinking about it. My experiences with exercise, sleep, tobacco, alcohol is put it in your schedule and block time it. Once you build the habit, now you can kind of free flow, like when am I going to do it? But you need to place the same value on that as going to work, picking up your kids. Then you can also tell your environment, this is the time that I'm journaling. Because if you get interrupted, you're more likely not to do it. So when I was in the physical activity world, I'd say put a sign on the door saying dad or mom or what have you is exercising, come back in an hour. But also have the conversation, I'm going to be exercised from six to seven, I need your support. Because if they go, dad, you said you'd give me my allowance, then you're going to get out of the habit. So yes, I'm a big fan of block time it, put it in your schedule, you know, some research says 12 weeks, some weeks says, some say six months to build a habit. Who knows? It's, it's, it's quite individual. But when you feel like I'm in the habit, and it's become part of who you are related to your purpose. That's when you can start to not, you know, from six to six fifteen. I'm going to reflect. I do think, sure, there's probably value in doing it at the end of the day because you can do more self-reflection. But honestly, as most things, whenever you can fit it in your schedule and you can consistently keep it in there, awesome. Okay. I love that. Thank you so much for that. Um, I know that is going to be really valuable. I have another question and this is a diversity question and resilience around changing culture. So when you're trying to shift culture in an organization, for example, it's so hard, right? You talked about that change management section at the bookstore and people being resistant to change. And so I'm all about diversity in the work, getting more women and people of color into leadership positions, which is change. And we need change to happen from the top for this to really work. And there's people who are excited and motivated about it, but not everybody in the organization's on board. So what's a good way to keep your resilience up if you're trying to change something Mm -hmm. like that? Yeah. So as again, optimism is the number one characteristic of uh, resilient people. It doesn't mean they wear rose colored glasses. It means they do all kinds of problem solving uh, and then they become optimistic. They know it's not going to be perfect, but they remain like this is going to work. My experience is working within organizations is first of all, it has to become part of the culture. So if we're, for example, talking about a a health habit or a resilient organization, that language has to be baked into the purpose, their values, has to be um, 
it has to become that important. Other things that we get them to do is it becomes part of the 360 review. So imagine if your CEO was meeting with someone and said, what's your resiliency plan again? Can we go over that? And how is it working for you? That's how you have change. So that's, it is a bit of the baby steps, but that's one of the ways is it actually gets entrenched into the organization. That's especially like I've seen it with health. A lot of people go, Oh, we got a wellness program, um, which is the classic lunch and learn or something like that. Doesn't really doesn't do anything. It's just random acts of wellness. Um, we just kind of do stuff. Yeah. That's like women's empowerment, right? It's like, okay, random acts of women's empowerment. Well, we'll bring a speaker for international women's day and it doesn't really shift because it, yeah. Yeah, (laughs) women's empowerment. I love that language. So yeah, I've probably done about 10 different organizations, strategic plan. None of the employees see me for 10 months. So we do the intensive, what's the strategy? How do we bake it in? We present it to the senior team. Here's how to be successful. And then we actually have like a two-year plan. So not, what are we doing this month? It's actually a two-year plan and they have an evaluation system baked into it. So it's not just um, what, so only 1% of companies in North America do any ROI calculation on anything to do with wellness or the things that we're talking about. So we actually put an evaluation system around it. Then the other last thing I'll mention, which as soon as you started uh, speaking, got me kind of chuckling is a lot of people believe in the all or none. So you get a lot of the naysayers like, okay, we want more diversity. Oh, we can't do that because these four people will never buy in. If you spend your time worrying about the 10 or 15% that are going to, I know you didn't want me to swear, but poo-poo on stuff, then you can get in a rabbit hole. So focus on the people that are going to be excited by it. And social cognitive theory tells us that once you start the snowball, then it can grow. So that's where you get your champions and all those kind of things. But um, it has to, you have to start somewheres and it, you have to grow the culture. And if you look at the research on culture, an organization could be anywhere from one year to six years to make the change. <laughs> but everyone wants three months, we're going to do all this. Well, no, it's not that simple. It's, it's a process, but you have to buy into the process. It has to be part of the organization, which means some of the things that I said, and we have to keep with what if we got a 10% shift this year? That's pretty cool. But a lot of people in today's society, it's like within a year, we're going to have to be 100%. Everyone's bought in. Everyone's doing it. Well, no, that's not going to happen. But we need to start somewhere and we need to have what's the progression look like. And I like that's how you the- talked about a resiliency plan, right? Because say you're like, okay, by the end of first year, we need 10% bought in and we need this shift or this is the goal. But then if you have that resiliency resiliency plan, it's like if you made 5%, okay, we've already talked about if we don't reach the goal, what the plan is. So I've never heard that term before resiliency plan. So I think that's really brilliant because it could be any kind of plan could be okay, we want to like you said, have more diversity. So it becomes part of the team meetings, it becomes part of the individual meetings. So whatever you put in that meeting is probably going to be your focal point, right? I mean, how many times have I said to, <coughs> excuse me, groups of CEOs, when you walk by the, the person who's on the front line, have you ever said, Hey, I thought you were supposed to be walking right now. I thought you're supposed to be meditating right now. Why aren't you doing it? I got to get this report done. Don't worry about it. Go do your thing. 
if you think about the behavioral change aspect and the psychology of that, it's very powerful because they care about what you think, you sign their paycheck, all those kind of things are transpiring. They, they care because they've actually remembered what your plan was and you've given them the okay to live well. And also Darren comes in after and says, you, you also appreciate they're probably going to get more production in that afternoon and probably get the report done if they, than if they plowed through the lunch hour. So it's really about buy-in at the top, right? Thinking, okay, whatever the cultural change is, buy-in from the top. The the top people need to demonstrate that behavior and really call out everybody else when they're not demonstrating it. Yeah, and I hate that. Not that I hate. It's not. It's a strong word. I appreciate that everybody who's pitching everything within an organization needs like the top buy-in. But yeah, you do. (laughs) I mean, you do. Yeah, you need the leadership buy-in and. What we did with one organization, because they're overwhelmed, like they, they're getting hit. We actually said, we want leadership buy-in. What does that actually look like? And one of the micro things we did is we want to see the president at three events. So that was just a micro, like there was a bunch yeah. of stuff. We, and we said, we went to the president because he was bought in and said, let's do this. So we said, here's the work that we did over the last three months one of the strategic plan, one of the strategies is to have you at three events. Here are the ones that we recommend five or six of them that are powerful. Look at your schedule and see what you can fit into. I love that. Cause it's like the buy-in, like what does buy-in look like? Instead of it being like that senior person having their hand in everything, then they're like, no, I only have so many hours of the day, but it's like, okay, it really could be this small. And then it just shows that it's important. Maybe there's a budget tied to it. And then people know, like, you know, we have their buy-in, we have approval to spend this money. We know they're going to show up at these times, at these important times. And if we, we have their ear at this, whatever, how many times a year we need a meeting or whatever it is, then you can manage around that. I think that's really cool. Yeah, I work with one organization. Um, they use a software called Office Vibe. And in the corner of their desk, it has red, yellow, and green. And so basically, the um, employees at the end of the day just fill out five questions and it populates aggregate to say who's struggling, who's kind of okay, and who's flourishing. So they can look at what strategy we've put in place, what things have we done, and they can actually start to see the shift of the culture, in essence, somewhat the culture within the organization. I would see in the future that maybe the journaling as well has some keywords that also creates red flags. Um, and I appreciate that, you know, pen to paper, but if it's more electronic, which was what we're doing with the students, we might actually be able to look in the future, we might actually be able to say to a university, here's the day you should have a mental health day. Yeah. So then you track in real time, you're tracking employee engagement in real time. It's that once a year survey, because, you know, maybe someone's feeling happy, like it's a one point in time. It's like the checkpoints throughout the year and it's simple and it's easy. And it's like three things. I love that. That is really cool. So that's kind of where we're working towards. That is so interesting. I really I'm excited about this research and this work that you're doing. Um, so we are out of time and time flies. time flies when you're having fun talking yep. about resiliency and journaling. I like to end my podcast with an action for everybody to take within 24 hours because 
you've given me so many things to think about and I want to make sure I use it. So what's something that I can do and people listening can do to apply what you've taught us today within 24 hours? Sure. Um, So for the people out in the ecosphere, um, buy your journal and start using it tomorrow. How many times have I talked about my bit of research and actually talk about journaling and the head bobs and they go, oh, I used to do that. Uh, and they can see the almost the depression start. I'm like, you know, you can start again tomorrow. <laughs> so, um, you know, here's an opportunity. You've created something that's really cool. Uh, don't worry if you're going to mess it up. If, you know, buy some artwork and hang it on your wall. You don't need your journal to be your artwork. It's really cool that it's engaging, but write in it and do that. Um, for yourself and again for the other people is pick just one thing that you want to log. So do the journaling, pick one thing. What's one thing that you want to track? Um, so maybe sleep. Sleep is kind of the big one right now. I, I firmly believe it's the foundational component of physical health. It actually, I'll be so bold to say is it trumps nutrition and physical activity. Um, we know that if you drop below seven hours, you increase the risk of anxiety and depression quite high. So just start logging and see how you feel at different points. Don't get frustrated if you're like averaging five hours. Just say, okay, here's where I'm averaging and how do maybe I squeak out a little bit more time. Amazing. I love it. So track your sleep and start journaling. Yes. Thank you so much, Darren, for coming on. So if people want to learn more about you and the work that you're doing, how do they find it? Yeah, I've got a Twitter handle at Vandora Wellness. Um, and then I have a, a website, VandoraWellness.com. So it's V-E-N-D-U-R-A uh, Wellness.com. And I uh, would love for people to check out my TED Talk because every extra thousand uh, watches I get, Rudy gets a treat. Okay, my, awesome. my TED Talks on my dog. <laughs> okay, awesome. So I will put links to that in the show description so we can watch right. it and cheer you on. So thank you so much. This was amazing. Thanks. This episode of the Diversity at Work podcast is brought to you by Ambitious Every Day. It is like having your very own leadership coach in the form of a journal to help you focus and take action towards your goals. It is the exact same process that I take all of my coaching clients through turned into a journal. If you're wondering what it's like to work with a leadership coach, this is the best way to try it out. It is only $30 and it absolutely works. So you can get yours on my website. It is ambitiontheory.ca. Hi there. Before you go, I was wondering if I could ask you a huge favor. Can you click on iTunes and give the podcast a five-star review and also a comment? This would mean the world to me. It also helps us to spread the word about the podcast and attract higher profile guests. We want to be able to deliver thought leadership around diversity inclusion every single week and having more reviews on iTunes will help us to do that and help us to keep the show going for free for you. So please head to iTunes right now, give us a five-star review and leave us a comment. Thanks so much. 